William Shatner tricks Paramount into letting Captain Kirk search for God. Cybok takes us down to Paradise City, where there is no grass and the girls are kitties. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Dribble Hippie. Welcome aboard. Find something to grab onto. There are no seatbelts on this bridge. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us for part two of Star Trek V. We'll be picking up where we left off last time. Pavel Chekhov has already impersonated a captain. We've got kidnapped dignitaries on Paradise City. Kirk and team are trying to sneak in, and Uhura is literally moonlighting as a fan dancer. Let's rejoin and see what happens next. (laughs) So they ride their horses into town. As they get there, they're confronted by all these bad guys. And Cybok steps out and shouts, I didn't want any bloodshed. Which Nestle really makes us question, what does he want? Well, I'm sorry, but the man is standing in front of people who are holding literal bazookas and (laughs) Gatling guns. And he's saying, I didn't want any bloodshed. Well, then why did you bring so many freaking weapons? (laughs) So the the Enterprise crew heads into the bar, and when they head into the bar, Kirk is immediately set upon by the cat lady, who is literally a woman in a cat costume standing up on, on two legs. She is the stripper in the bar who has been, quote unquote, sexily dancing the whole time. Six hours of makeup for 59 seconds of film. Right? Like, it's it's so bad you would think that she was Nimoy's ex-husband. Or wife's ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk immediately swings her over his shoulder into a into a bathtub thing. He, he throws her like 15 feet. Yes. And she is dead. Kirk murdered the cat lady by throwing her into on the fish bag. tank. Right. It's so weird and it's so brutal and so quick. And you're just like, wait, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, that again, that was one of those scenes of why did this have to be, this was the best use. Cause here's the thing about the, you're using a whole rescue scene. We have tons of excellent movies that are based on nothing, but let's go rescue hostages. So well, we have lots of templates that we can work with that we can really set up some great action scenes. Uh, this this isn't one of them. Well, I will say this is this is kind of an interesting scene in so much as it they're drawing on this grittiness that people were looking for. If you look at like 1989, 1990 movies coming out at that time, like think about Total Recall. Like the amount of grittiness they were going for in any situation, they wanted to see just how much they could shock you, how far they could push the rating system, like how much they could do in all of these situations and still get the point across, but also just push a little bit further. And it it really does have that same kind of feel that a lot of those movies of the time did like RoboCop and, and, uh, and yes, right. Like there's, there's an aesthetic that's there. And I think that the, um, um, the, oh my God, 
guy who takes pictures. Uh, cinematographer. cinematographer. I think the cinematographer was really going for that same kind of thing that everybody was doing in Hollywood at the time. And I think Kirk, er, Kirk Shatner just kind of went along with it. Again, I think this would have worked so much better if we just did the slight tweak of say, oh, instead of a bar, bowling alley. Yeah, but then he would have thrown the cat lady down, gotten a strike. It would have been a weird comedy moment. <laughs> you make a good point. You know what? That movie writes itself. Right? <laughs> so uh Cybok comes in and tells them, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm gonna I I, I got these these hostages here. You know why? Because I want your ship. And Kirk's all, you want to steal the Enterprise? I can't believe anyone would steal the Enterprise. <laughs> Actually, this leads to one of my favorite things, because Cyborg is still thinking that uh, that uh, Chekhov is the captain of the Enterprise. So uh, when Kirk is like, you did all this to take my ship? He kind of looks like, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> So this also does lead to the the big reveal. Uh, the diplomats, they totally believe in Cybok. Because there is something that Cybok knows how to do that we didn't even talk about yet. Yes, he has a talent. Cybok can walk up to you and you're like, dude, what's your problem? And he's like, what's your problem? And you're like, hmm, I hadn't thought about it that way. You're my God now. <laughs> or no, I'm sorry. You're my Jesus now. You're not God. <laughs> We're going to go meet God. (laughs) The man has a voice like LSD. (laughs) Like seriously. And and he's like, what's your worst fear? Tell me about it. Tell me what you're afraid of. Right. Oh, I love you because you showed me my fear. (laughs) Now, of course, the diplomats love him and they're like, ha ha, we were in on it the whole time. And we're starting to see this is this is where we're starting to see more of the character come out. This movie the original script was actually a reaction that Shatner was having to televangelists of the day. Um, he specifically uh, points out Jim Baker. Um, and so the, the whole cyborg character is kind of a, uh, a critique. Now in my mind, I can't quite tell if, if uh, uh, cyborg is more Jerry Falwell or Tony Robbins, um, hmm. cause he really does that thing, but you're really your own best help, you know, type thing. So, but this was part of, uh, uh, Shatner's original idea for the script and Shatner's original script goes way farther into the weirdness. Cause let's keep in mind, we're at a weird space here. We've already gone to bringing somebody in Star Trek three, bringing somebody back from the dead, mm-hmm. Star Trek four, traveling back in time. And now we're going to go to get whales, to get whales, to, to get whales. And now we're going to seek out God. It, it seems really, really, really odd that even in like a science fiction series, we would go, you know what? That's not weird enough. Let's go even, let's, let's skew a little bit harder. I mean, that's kind of what they do. <laughs> I mean, the next movie coming up, they're going to get weird in different ways. True. True. But. Then the movie after that, they're going to go, hmm, you know, we haven't really discussed any kind of alternate dimension stuff. Let, let's look at that. Let's see what's going on. Yeah, it, it. I mean, if if this is one of those things that, you know, you can take me so far, but, but uh, Shatner's original idea that, no, we're actually going to run into the real devil, that, that was part of his idea. He was going to save his friends from Satan. 
Yeah, Worf will do it. <laughs> so I have to say, I'm really, really, as bad as this movie was, again, wow. Could have been worse, yeah. We dodged a bullet. We dodged a big old Star Trek bullet with this one. Speaking of plan B, so they hop into a shuttle and they decide to head back to the Enterprise. You know, uh, well, you know, uh, we don't want anybody to die, so we're just going to give them everything they want, even though we know that their hostages are BS. So <laughs> they hop in the shuttle, they head back, emergency plan B to get the shuttle back in the shuttle bay, which apparently involves going as fast as possible into the shuttle bay and raising the, the nets. And now while we're doing all of this, it only seems like there's only two people on the bridge, mm-hmm. Chekhov and Scotty. Scotty's oh, night shift. everything. And Chekhov is telling him, now, first of all, Scotty's a captain and Chekhov is a commander. So I'm a little confused on the dynamic here. But don't you have other people to do a lot of this stuff? Okay, hold on. We're only, what, two movies away from when they put a cadet in charge of the Enterprise (laughs) instead of Chekhov? (laughs) So, like, now they're just kind of like, hey, Pavel, this one's yours. I I owe you one. Again, Starfleet system on who takes over when the captain leaves really should be something other than, I don't know, whatever the captain says before he takes off. Why is there a trash can in the captain's seat? Well, Kirk looked around and he saw the trash can before he saw anybody else. He's like, you know, I like that guy, that guy, Oscar from that show. (laughs) So they, they, they crash their shuttle into the bay. Um, They hop out of the ship and it's Kirk and Cybok and Spock. Spock looks over, sees Cybok and he raises his gun and Kirk's like, duh, shoot Shoot him. him. And Spock just doesn't because it's his brother and he loves him. And he also has a little, little breakdown in. He thinks his brother actually might've done it. He knows his Mm -hmm. brother has always been going after that one big dream. And when they look at each other, as certain as Cybok is now, first of all, this also, this scene right here shows us what a rough life Spock has had. Because Cybok is his older brother, and Spock looks much older than Cybok does. <laughs> so Cybok's living his best life, let's just say that. All right. Um, but he is taken aback by Cybok is so, so certain of, he, there's no doubt in his mind whatsoever that he is actually, that it does cause Spock to actually, who is an open-minded Vulcan, he starts to think about, could he be Right. Right. So what do they do? They, so Cybok is like, I knew you wouldn't do it. You're my brother. Ha ha ha. He loves him. So he, he embraces Spock and he sends uh, Kirk and bones to the brick. <laughs> so they're standing there and all of a sudden they hear some tapping and they just, I, I mean, these are true Navy men because they hear this tapping. Now keep in mind, this is 300 years in the future. I, I'm going to, can you tell me, how you say stand back in Morse code. <laughs> I mean, I know you're not a Navy man, but I'm going to, I'm going to guess that most of our Navy doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> it's one of the things that they teach in, uh, in uh, Starfleet Academy. Right. <laughs> so they're standing there, they hear tapping, they realize it says stand back. So they stand back and uh, Scotty breaks through the wall, of the jail cell 
And I mean, it's clearly made of, you know, one sheet of very thin plastic. And, and, and always remember when you're breaking your friends out of jail, yell at them as loud as you can. Hey, (laughs) I'm breaking you out of jail. (laughs) So they're in a brig on the enterprise, which at this point is already a room with a force field for a door. And there's guys on the other side of the force field. And none of them is like, Hey, did you just hear an explosion? (laughs) Oh, Hey, did you just hear Scotty saying I am breaking you out? (laughs) No, they didn't hear nothing. That's why you don't put deaf people in charge of guarding jail cells. Hey, it's all about inclusion. (laughs) Okay. So they, they, for some reason they, they go into this void space that's behind the prison cells. (laughs) I gotta say putting hallways that lead you to all parts of the ship directly behind the prison cells seems like a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that the access tubes in this particular enterprise are as big as the actual hallways. (laughs) <laughs> again we have some star trek has some real real uh, uh spatial relationship uh problems mm-hmm. <laughs> there's definitely always been scale issues <laughs> so they they're in this gigantic hallway and they they're like well we're gonna go this way and scotty's like all right i'll i'll watch out for you and they're like do you know where you're going he's like I know this ship like the back of my hand and promptly turns around and knocks himself out on a bulkhead. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I got to admit it was pretty funny. Um, but it's also real stupid. <laughs> the thing I remember most about this is to cap off the joke, to make the joke land, they start the alarm right when he hits his head and falls down. Mm-hmm. But then the very next scene is some of Cybox men running through the hallways of the enterprise D for some reason. <laughs> well, you know, look, they don't, they don't know what ship they're supposed to be on. They're, they're just henchmen. I can't help, but uh, think of the uh, Joel Hodgson uh, standby joke. Meanwhile, in a completely different movie, <laughs> right? Well, and if we're being completely honest, those guys, they're in big trouble because Worf is going to kick their butts. <laughs> Where's um, your hope? Where's your hope? <laughs> <laughs> But see, here's, so, uh, this is another missed opportunity in this movie because we're going to go to the turbo shaft scene right next. God, and I hate elevator shaft scenes of any movie. How, like, how I love Die Hard. I hate the elevator shaft. See, this is exactly what I, this is so funny because this is exactly what I wrote down. How at this point in the movie does this not become Star Trek Die Hard? Right? You could have all sorts of really cool scenes of, I mean, in TNG, they did this in the episode uh, Starship Mine. They kind of did a miniature uh, Star Trek Die Hard. But I mean, you really had an opportunity to do something cool, just as you did with the rescue scene. And it seems that you just kind of dropped the ball. Well, I think they watched Die Hard the, the year before and they were like, you know, that was a really good movie, but we don't have machine guns to hold on to. So there's no way we're going to get through those little shafts. And we can't do that because it's a Christmas movie. It'd make no sense. Right. Well, nobody wants a star Trek Christmas movie. (laughs) So they climb and climb and climb and climb. And they realize this is going to take a while. So, uh, all of a sudden Spock shows up. Now it's important to note that when they ran into the, the shaft, the elevator shaft, Spock was with them. And all of a sudden Spock ran off down a hallway. 
So they start climbing. Spock shows up in his rocket boots from their, their shore leave. And he flies up to them. He's like, Hey, this is probably easier. To which I say, why why didn't you bring us rocket boots too? Right. Why not? (laughs) Like you just went to the rocket boot room. Come on, bring us back rocket boots. Also, they have a rocket boot room. Oh my God. <laughs> that was something that a lot of people point out about this whole scene because they're climbing up, they do the rocket boot thing. And of course they, they fire the rockets and he goes flying up the elevator shaft. Now, hold on before he does that. Oh yes, please. Why are there pads on his rocket boots for people to stand on? <laughs> Because clearly, when you put three people on these rocket boots, they won't hold your weight. <laughs> so what the heck? I'm thinking that maybe it was for maybe a dancing thing. You know, your partner would stand on the little pads, and then you. Oh. you know, so when you're dancing, when you're boots. like teaching your your daughter how to rocket boot herself. Yeah, I mean, if, then, if if this had been um, if they had actually used you know military rocket boots, it probably would have held. But these were dancing. Spock's dancing um, rocket boots. Spock That's why he only had one pair. Dancing. We have the laughing Vulcan and the rocket boot dancing Vulcan. I you, gotcha. What you didn't know is that those things actually had taps on them also. <laughs> but so, so you were saying, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so here again, as you said, why aren't people looking things up? Because as they're flying up the elevator shaft at breakneck speed, the deck numbers behind them, are getting larger and larger and larger. This is a problem because a, okay. The previous enterprise in the movies decks were lettered. Does anything work around here? Nothing below C deck in next generation decks are numbered, but they're numbered from the top and descending. So the bridge is deck one. The observation deck would be on deck two. So, as he's rocking up there, the numbers are going up. This is one of those things of somebody could have looked this up. We either could have had the proper letters or we could have had the proper numbering sequence. Why is this happening in a Star Trek movie? Well, I think it was just an attempt to try to, to show off just how fast he was going. <laughs> what is interesting is that if you look it up, there's the only time that the decks are numbered in all all of the enterprises is the next gen enterprise because it has 42 decks. But other than that, even the enterprise E has 30 decks, but only 26 of them are usable. usable correct. Yeah. And so those 26 are all lettered. It is super weird. Oh, is they, the, does the E actually use letter designation? Yeah. On its decks? Is that it right? uses letters as well? Yeah. Yeah. The, the only one, um, well, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't know if the E uses letters or numbers. It was specifically TNG is the only time they use numbers. And the then E specifically had 26 that were that were available, so it could have used letters just fine. I don't know Voyager if they actually was did it. Voyager was numbers. Yeah, Voyager was numbers. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was really weird. I'm going to have to pay attention to Strange New Worlds to see if they what they bring up on that. Ooh, that's a good idea. I mean, of course, Strange New Worlds is not completely contiguous with uh, TOS, but you know. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Have they shown that they have a void where their turbo shafts go yet? 
not, so. not to that extent. Give them the extent of discovery a, where you're actually in TARDIS it's the space. Same people reason. who did same people who did discovery, so it could be, you never know. All right. Uh so after the jailbreak, after the rocket boots, we switch back over to the Klingon ship. And uh we get to Spice Williams, who is or excuse me, Spice Williams Crosby, who is the uh what was her name again? Uh Vixus. Uh, Vixus. So Vixus is speaking in Klingon. Her accent's amazing, <laughs> right? For somebody who's never been a Klingon before and is uh, in a, a big budget, well, quote unquote, big budget movie, uh, her hey, accent's really good. And I honestly, I think she helps to set the tone for some of the TV show stuff too. She's really good. Um, and this is going to be, um, Shatner is one of the people that's credited with these Klingons. Their foreheads are all very different. This is when the turtles really start to differentiate. And we had seen that on next generation at some point, the Duras family having a very distinctive crest, but, uh, Shatner really, really pushed that. No Klingons. I mean, that, that should be kind of their identifying mark is, is how different their forehead turtles are. Yeah, I think in in movie number six, things get super weird. But this one, yeah, I, it definitely starts to to really cement that. And I, I think that's a good point. Um, so now Cybok's going to release some pain. He's he's going to take uh, uh, Bones and Kirk into some weird dark room somewhere on the Enterprise. We don't know what room this is. It's creepy, though. Oh, I thought this was um, still the observation. I thought he took him back to the observation deck on deck 10. I thought it was five. supposed to be the observation room, but it's pitch black in there and there's like no star field or anything. So I'm like, uh, I don't point. know. Now here's one thing interesting though. When Cybox starts to do his rant, Columbus proved that the world was round. He says Columbus proved that the world was round. So mm. in the 23rd century, even on Vulcan, we're still teaching that BS. Look, man, this goes back to, to one of my pet peeves, Star Trek, no matter what planet you're from, you're going to quote earth history, <laughs> always earth history. That's because everyone knows that humans are extremely self-centered. So if you, if you reference anything, but specifically earth history, you're mm-hmm. just going to get blank looks back. Also by the 23rd century, they haven't figured out that Columbus did not do that. Yes. That's so. Cause we know that. <laughs> Um, nobody calls on when he, when he says Columbus proved the rule is around, you don't see McCoy. You're going to shut down that racist BS right now. Adam Conover steps out of the the (laughs) shadows is like, actually. (laughs) So, uh, he, while he's making this speech, he also says, I don't control minds. I free them to which I say, yeah, okay, whatever. That's a red flag. Right. <laughs> so he starts working on, on bones. Uh, when he starts working on bones, he immediately starts sweating. Like he, <laughs> I, okay. I wrote, he's sweating. Like Cybok knows about all the hookers. He killed. <laughs> That's not necessarily fair. Cybok could have, totally not know he could have only but, known about all the hookers <laughs> that scotty killed but that's, that's right. <laughs> scotty has absolutely killed a couple of hookers. uh so bones is sweating like crazy cybok knows exactly what his issue is and shows him his father dying and 
it, it takes Bones back to a moment when he was the attending at his father's bedside while his father is dying of this disease. And he, he just wishes there was a cure for it. In this modern day and age, there's no cure for it. And his father begs him, put me out of my misery. Let me escape the pain. And so he does. And he lets his father go. Euthanasia was a very, very um, touchy subject at this particular time. And so for it to be addressed in a, in a Star Trek movie, of all things, was a bit surprising um, as it is, was something that was being talked a lot about at the time. Now, something I didn't know, uh, the actor who played David McCoy, uh, the father in this, yep, uh, William Quinn, who he was a uh, huge actor in the 60s in television and film, you'd recognize him immediately if you saw him. He was very, very different looking in this scene because he was so thin and frail, but he was also Bob Newhart's father-in-law. Like his actual father-in-law? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. But yeah, you'd if you saw a picture of him, of William Quinn, you'd recognize him. He was a, a guy who played, often played judges or, or officials in Western TV series and movies here and there and such. He, he had quite the career. Like I said, I had no idea because he was far thinner in this, in this particular scene. Um, so I had no idea it was him until I actually oh. read about it. Okay. I just looked him up. I absolutely know that guy. Holy crap. He's always the nasty curmudgeon. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, he was in the Twilight Zone movie in 1983. Oh, there we go. And this would be his final film. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. You know, Star Trek is really just one of those special cases. They do. They are a lot of people's final film. Whether they yeah. wanted to be that way or not. Right. Um, <laughs> so he puts his father to death. Cybok ends the little vision and bones is like, you know, the worst part about it, this is they came up with a cure like a couple months later. Are you kidding? Jeez <laughs> Louise. Talk so, about taking the, the air out of the room. My God. But this, I, I think this is one of those things of, Again, this movie just has a few bright points. I think this was one of the bright points. This scene is excellently yeah. acted. It was very well conceived and thought out. And it explained a lot about a character that we've known for a long time, but really haven't known much about. Um, and so yeah, I, no, this- I, I agree. I think it, it speaks a lot to who Bones is as a physician. Yes. Right. It, it, it says a lot about like, you know, his, he, he is a very caring person, but he's also bitter as hell. And I think this helps to illustrate why that is. Yes. It's a really yes. good scene. No, I thought that he did a fantastic job with this, uh, of, uh, of, as you said, just adding some death to a, to a character that we are all familiar with, but, uh, but really didn't know that much about. Right. So then Cybok turns his attention to Kirk and Kirk, oh, is, Scott, uh, and Kirk says, Oh, that's right. That's right. Because this is hilarious. Because first, first we learned that Vulcan maternity wards are basically caves. So, well, well, I do not know what the health system is like there, but. Hold on. Let's be honest. We know that everything on Vulcan is basically a cave. <laughs> it's either on fire, covered in lava, or it's a cave. There is no houses, no cities. Vulcan is a desolate wasteland filled with hyper-intelligent, <laughs> futuristic aliens. Cave people. Right. Yeah. It's the only place to escape the, uh, all the smoke, fire and the lava, I guess, you know, 
listen, we moved into the caves and we were like, these caves suck. Let's design starships. And so that's what they did. <laughs> but the hilarious thing is that the, uh, the pain that Cyborg shows his brother, um, <laughs> is the fact that his dad was disappointed in him. And boy, has Cybok not been around for a while. Cause, right? Cause it seems that Spock is really, really pretty familiar with the fact that his father is pretty disappointed in him and, uh, and is okay with it. Right. They get done with this and Cybok kind of looks at Spock like, yeah, yeah, you're on my side now. Right. And Spock's <laughs> like, and <laughs> yeah, that's basically, he's like, dude, our dad is a dick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not telling me I didn't some anything I didn't already know, dude. No, this is whatever. Now I do like, and this is just kind of from a uh, uh, Eastern goofy philosophy thing. I do like the way they deliver the line that Spock tells his brother: "I hide no pain." He doesn't say he doesn't have pain. He says, "I don't hide any pain." Yeah, I'm basically telling his brother: "Do what you want," because I'm okay with myself. Right? He's like, look, I know who Spock is. I love Spock. He's a good dude. Eh, I'm good. Let's move on. And the movies, I mean, we've seen, without it being specifically written out the way it was for Data and Star Trek Next Generation, we've seen tons of growth from Spock when we first see him, when we first see him in, uh, in the original series and who he is and what he's, you know, what he's all about through the movies. Um you know, Colin are dying, blah, 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 blah. But we now in this movie, we actually see Spock as a uh, self-actualized person who, who is no longer looking for that, that missing thing or looking yeah. for where he belongs. Um, he's pretty well, much found it. And if we pay attention to Canon, he's also what, like two years old. Yeah. So he, he's, <laughs> He doesn't like, I, I, I'm going to guess that he's got a little bit of a disconnect between who he was growing up and who he is now. So I don't know. I, I think there's a lot about Spock that just is kind of like, eh, he's not going to react the same way as any other sentient being. Right. So the, um, the original script and they actually started to shoot this, but they never finished it. The original script called for Spock to see his birth, but then the scene would shift and the scene would be, Spock learning that Cybok has been banished from Vulcan and begging with his father, please let me go with him. And Sarek basically telling him, yeah, that's not happening. Now see, I think that would have hit harder. Yeah. I, I, when I read that and I had never seen that before. I read that. I was like, you know what? That actually as a scene would actually kind of make sense. It would actually. And then we'd have to ask, but who's the girl behind him? (laughs) I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Burnham. <laughs> I am of Saru, though. Oddly enough, huge fan of Saru, which I did not yeah. think. First time I ever saw that character, I thought, oh, this is our this is our uh, our goofy character that I'm going to hate. And, you know why uh, I like Saru? Because he's a next-gen character that was dropped in the middle of that garbage pile. <laughs> All right. I'll stop being so vicious. <laughs> so they, uh, uh, so next he goes on to Kirk. Yes. Right. And when he goes on to Kirk, he's like, all right, now it's time for you to learn something about yourself. And Kirk in wonderful Kirk style says, no, 
I refuse. Because <laughs> if there's one thing Kirk is head. not going to do, it is learn about himself. <laughs> what? So he can tell me I should have turned left when I turn right? Right. I need my pain, baby. Can you imagine <laughs> jumping into that guy's head and seeing his fears? Oh, <laughs> God. It's just nothing but an endless stream of gonorrhea. <laughs> I'm sorry, space gonorrhea. <laughs> okay, now, if I were to have written this scene, yeah, it would have been his uh, toupee coming off. That would have been his true pain. Ooh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Not that William Shatner wears a toupee. That's never, no, you know, never you know what been it would have been. It would have been all the different green chicks over the years telling him, but he's your son, Jim. <laughs> and then Carol Marcus going, no, no, seriously, this one really is your son. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh so they reach the great barrier. Now, I want to point out that they have not mentioned the great barrier up until this moment. <laughs> so, if you're actually watching this movie because you want to enjoy a Star Trek movie, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so, I'm going to try to fill in some blanks here because this was explained in the novelization and this is the last novelization of a movie I've read. So this will be the last time you hear me doing this, <laughs> but in actuality, Cybok, well, first of all, when, when, after he, Kirk tells him, I'm not dealing with you, we find out the truth. Cybok's been talking to God. So as bad as you thought it had been at, up to this point, yeah, it just got worse. Because you knew he was crazy. I found this bottle of Romulan ale (laughs) under the counter. And ever since I drank it, I started talking to God. It was really cool. And so in the novelization, what God does is tells him, hey, I'm in the center of the galaxy. And the center of the galaxy is, everyone, everyone knows this, is in this reality protected by a great impenetrable barrier. Well, impenetrable in big fat quotes <laughs> and the visions that cyborg is given is a new design for deflector shields that will actually allow them the enterprise to go through this is why cyborg needed a starship he needed something big enough that would be able to generate deflector shields strong enough to do this so that's why he needed a starship um, and he goes through and does this, it shows this to Scotty and Scotty's amazed by this. And they do this redesign and, uh, get the, the shields all perfect so they can go through the great barrier. And now it would have been nice if they actually had talked about this in the movie at all. Um, right. But they decided explaining thing, explaining what's going on in the movie was just too much. We we've already gone this far without explaining a lot of what's going on. If we start doing it now, people are just going to start asking questions. And the thing is on this, this is another wasted opportunity. We're going to go through the great barrier and it's going to be basically some special effects from a cloud chamber. Um, and everyone's staring at the screens and things are flashing around but the ship's not shaking at all. There's no alarms going off. There's no sense of danger whatsoever. No, it's, it's one of the worst things like, Oh no, it's the great barrier. What's going to happen. And they're just like, okay. That was yeah. cool. Hey, Hey man, this is, this is really weird. 
hey, I didn't think we'd be able to do this. I'm really worried that we may not be able to do this. Oh, we're done. But hey, I got to tell you, the special effects in this were absolutely terrible. (laughs) It was a green screen, and I'm pretty sure it was either a lava lamp or like somebody poured some colored oil into a tray of water and filmed it. So again, this is another time in this movie that it really seems like they missed a great opportunity because you you have an action sequence here. You have all this tension that is supposed to exist. And yet it seems like they're just sailing through this inky gaseous mass without nobody seems very anxious for the, that the great barrier is going to crush them or destroy them or anything that is supposed to happen here. They just like, Oh yeah, Cyborg did it. So we're all looking at the flashing lights and everything happening, but it really seemed like we should have had some shaking. Some things should have, we don't see one sparkler laden console blow up anywhere here. How much danger can you be in if there's no sparks on the bridge? Yeah. I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like just, and the look on everybody's face too, is just kind of, uh, this is interesting. (laughs) Going through the great barrier. Also, Nobody seems to notice that there's a Klingon bird of prey following them through the Great Barrier either. Which I'm not exactly sure why they didn't need special shields. Now, again, I'm going to refer back to the novelization. I'm pretty sure that Vixis was able to scan the Enterprise's shields and figure out the geometry that they were using to do it. I'm I'm 98% sure that's actually in the book, but we don't explain that in the movie whatsoever. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, let's be honest. They didn't explain the whole Great Barrier thing in the in the movie anyway, so why would they explain any of the other stuff? <laughs> now, to be fair, um, Shatner's original edit for this movie was over two hours, and Paramount wanted it down to an hour 45 because they wanted to be able to show it twice in the evening in a theater. Okay, and so, so it's interesting that you say that because that almost killed The Godfather. Um, in watching the Paramount uh, Godfather um, uh, the, the show about making the Godfather, it was, uh, called the offer. Um, they go into quite a bit of detail about the fact that one of the reasons the Godfather almost didn't get made is because Paramount was really, they had a bunch of bean counters in charge. And those guys were like, look, we have a certain amount of, of showings that we have to get through during the day. And this movie is not going to cut it because it's too long and we can't show enough showings. So I know for a fact that the Paramount guys were like that. They were all about like, if it's not exactly under the two hour mark, it's not going out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is Paramount was owned by a company that movies weren't really their thing, but accountancy was. And so <laughs> they were all about the money. Yeah. So this one would have hurt them hard. Right. <laughs> so they they get through this barrier and everybody looks through the window and is like their version of Eden. <laughs> and we have to go down. We have to do the chorus line of uh, of all the aliens calling it and stopping on David Warner so he can say Eden. Right. So to bring all of us humans up to speed. Because we didn't <laughs> know what was going on. Everybody. Uh, but you know what? Why does God live in Eden? Can somebody explain that to me? Because, I mean, seems like Eden was a failed experiment. I don't think he'd be that jazzed about it. Um, So then Shatner's like, well, we better get down there. God's a busy man. And so everybody takes the time 
to get dressed. And the right. only thing I can figure is that this is, this is, we're going in our Sunday's best, but when, when they go down on the, when they get in the shuttlecraft and are going towards the planet, everybody's in uniform. Cybok's in something pretty wacky. Um, and as you said, it wasn't wearing all that under his armor, was he? Uh, so, all right, let's talk about Cybok for a sec. He was wearing armor the entire movie, right? <laughs> Cause like he's wearing like this weird white breastplate, which I'll be honest with me with you. It looked a lot more like captain EO than it did actual armor. <laughs> um, but it was real weird. And then at the end of the movie, you know, he's got his penultimate scene where he's going to actually meet God. And he's like, eh, I'll take off all that stuff. I'm just going to wear a dress. It's fine. <laughs> hey, all right. In all fairness, it was Jesus, a robe. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way I'm going to roll. Right. <laughs> He's like, I just learned about Jesus yesterday because, you know, I'm Vulcan, but hey. <laughs> hey, I knew so, about Columbus, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, oh no, we're out of control. The shuttle's completely out of control. And then it almost crashes. Oh, but it lands. And when it lands, they're in Eden, which looks surprisingly like Death Valley. And <laughs> a little more purple. Right? <laughs> um, and they get out and they all stand around going, huh. Well, look, we're on a rock. <laughs> There's absolutely if, nothing going on. If you played No Man's Sky, you know these planets are a dime a dozen. Yeah, right? <laughs> There's at least 16 quadrillion of them. <laughs> so uh, they they stand there looking around for a while, and all of a sudden there's some some weird like rib things pop out of the ground. <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on there, but that is definitely not a mastodon. <laughs> you know, you hear you hear in the spot the, in the back; those things pop up. And you know, oh, well, my baby, it was it was a marketing ploy that just never quite worked out. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the problem is, it's 1989. Everybody's like, "What's a Chili's?" <laughs> uh, actually, no, they were around. Anyway, then. The God smoke starts just a little trickle at first and then a big billowy amount of smoke that they project on. I mean, not project it is visions. His visage appears on. <laughs> so I can't help, but think this guy looks a lot like the, uh, the Cytherians from TNG, which are the ones that Barkley, uh, he, he got, he got the brain drain, yeah, then, so so Barkley has the same thing happen to him as what happens to John Travolta in Phenomenon. Only yeah. it'll happen a few years later for John Travolta. Is that when he um, guest starred on Touched by an Angel? <laughs> ah, ah. Okay. <laughs> and so the there's some similarities here because first of all, the Cytherians are able to transmit uh, large ideas and technological uh, ideas into people's brains. Uh, happened with Reginald Barkley in the nth degree in next generation happens with Cybok in this one. Cause Cybok again is, is told here's how you take care of those uh, shields. So you can come see me. And what do we see? Big floating head, Cytherians, big floating heads. Um, however, it comes down to that thing. Is it racist to think that that's the case? Do we think that just because somebody's a floating head, all of a sudden they're a Cytherian? No. And I'll tell you why. Because William Shatner is the big giant head. <laughs> it's simple. It all comes around. It, it's right? all a circle. 
Ooh, what if all the aliens on Third Rock from the Sun are Cytherians? <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> all right. But we have God and, you know, God's being played by George Murdoch. Again, uh, for TNG fans, he'll be Admiral Hansen and Beth, Best of Both Worlds. Um, Which, incidentally, and, was not the best of both worlds, just to be clear. <laughs> he gets blown up in this movie and he gets killed in that. Yeah, he doesn't last long in Star Trek. He is like the Sean mm. Bean of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, good. Oh, I was, and then we get to the the point where, where uh, Cybok really you know, thinks he's met God and starts, uh, starts having the conversation. Okay. So this guy starts talking and I'm like, this is, this is totally like the, uh, the alien who was pretending to be the devil on TNG <laughs> on, uh, the devil's do, uh, that it just, it, it's smacked of like, I'm totally just a fake God, blah, blah, blah. Uh, which is a, a recurring theme on TNG in general. It's not something that really, well, I don't know. They did it on TOS too. I mean, look at Clint Howard. He pretended to be a god. Oh, that's true. Right? I yeah, mean, with it's, the puppet. Right? It's not that unusual, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, Which I've been I've been told Clint Howard don't bring that part up to him. Oh, really? <laughs> He's, he says jokingly, "I shot a half afternoon of a scene and it has followed me my entire life." Do you know have you seen that he actually did that for, I want to say it was, was it Jimmy Fallon? He did, uh, he did a late night show and he, he replayed the character. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. It was so terrible. But, and now when he shows up as, in, as the bum in deep space nine, is mm-hmm. he actually that same character? Right. Yeah. It gets weird. Well, okay. So DS nine, they totally meant it, right? Like if it was the old series, they'd be like, nah, they're all working actors. That's just something that happens. But on, on DS nine, no, no, they were going for it. <laughs> We've only got so many episodes. We're going to get a bit weird with it. Well, I mean, think about it. This is, this is the crew that went back to Kirk's enterprise, right? They, they alluded that Dax had actually hit that. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, <laughs> so god's next statement is uh yeah so i'm god nice to meet you all um how'd you get here yeah can you guys uh can i use your ship <laughs> okay you might have thought it was a vision i was actually calling for an uber right <laughs> He's like, it said you were going to be here in 15 minutes. What the <laughs> hell? You're getting one star. <laughs> so, so then out of nowhere, well, not out of nowhere. Then Kirk is, is like, what does God need with a ship? <laughs> and this is when we find out, well, if it is God, uh, crap, it's Old Testament God. Hell yeah. <laughs> you want proof? I'll give you proof. And he, Here's your proof right here. Right? And he shoots Kirk in the chest with a lightning bolt, which incidentally proceeds to smoke for the entire rest of the scene. It's good stuff. I just love that little wisp going next to his face the whole time. It's hard to take him serious when he's just got that smoke constantly going up. Don't forget, I got shot. I, it kind I got of reminds shot. me of uh, reminds me of Yellowbeard the pirate, <laughs> right? Probably the same effect too. 
Uh, man, that's a movie I haven't thought of in years. <laughs> so then he, then, you know, Spock tries to say something. He shoots Spock too. And then he talks to Bones and he's like, Hey, you want me to shoot you too? And Bones is like, eh, I don't buy this crap, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, Kirk says something in his radio or something. And I don't know. This movie's real dumb. And, and so shoots a, a torpedo. <laughs> and then Cybok Cy- gets the this is this is the whole thing. Cybok goes from I saw God to I saw Old Testament God to the the evil thing turning it on him is like, oh no, it's Eastern philosophy, dude. God is you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I do I do like though that Cybok really stays true to his whole thing of Oh, hey, you look like you're in pain. Let me see your pain. Right. <laughs> you know, the Cybot character kind of makes me feel like the uh, the folks making the movie still had an axe to grind about that one hippie they knew. <laughs> I mean, it's it's only 1989. They, they definitely knew some hippies back in the 70s, their 60s and 70s. <laughs> Uh, so they so Chekhov fires a shot. It's a real good shot. It hits God Square. Um, yay, Chekhov! He shot God. <laughs> and uh, it is cool because they do use they use the TOS uh, torpedo sound when they shoot the the torpedo from there. Which yep. again, good trick. Absolutely. Uh, so they get to the chopper. They, they they run out and they jump on the the uh, the shuttle. Um, and, and Scotty has managed to get two of the thing, two of the transporters working. Yeah, but it's Scotty. So, you know, that's not going to last. <laughs> the Klingons fire a shot somewhere off into space and Scotty goes, Oh, the transporters, they shot him. They don't work. <laughs> okay. In, in truth, they shot the enterprise. They managed to hit the transporters. So they don't work anymore. So what do they got to do? They got to go to the Klingon ship. So they get transported onto the Klingon ship. <laughs> Which I'm a little confused by why we're going this route on it, but you just couldn't, you just couldn't have Cord tell the guy, "Hey, don't shoot anymore." No, we're going to go over to the ship and we're going to borrow their ship as well. Right. Well, I mean, you, it's you, it's Kirk. He he likes taking Klingon ships. He's already done it before. <laughs> He's like, you know, the last time I had a bird of prey, that sucker handled like crazy. Let's get another one of those. I did notice that Captain Claw had a real weird accent. Um, <laughs> When, he, when the movie first started, he kind of was like, you know, oh, yeah, he's kind of got it. By the time the thing was over, I, he was just kind of like, you know, yes, fire at the Enterprise. <laughs> ah, today is a good day to die. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, which is unfortunate because he'll be a translator in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> uh, where, funnily enough, he'll be translating for Kirk. <laughs> Talk about a demotion, right? <laughs> We're not going to um, have you shoot things anymore. We're going to have you translate. <laughs> so while they're on the ship, Kirk runs into the ambassador and the ambassador is like, you know, dude, I'm sorry. Uh, that, that really sucked, but you know, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, he's like, you know, I'll kill claw for you since you know, <laughs> he sucks. And Kirk's like, no, 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 don't kill him. And so the ambassador's like, you have to apologize. <laughs> and so yeah, makes, I just, oh. I did not understand this at all. 
I Golly really gee willikers, mister. I'm real sorry I broke your ship. The the Klingon government did not sanction it. Since when do the Klingons oh. need the government to go try to kill Jim Kirk? That right? It kind of seems like, like a standing thing. order. Pretty sure that's page one in the manual. See this guy? Slap him around. Right. <laughs> but, you know, if Kirk wasn't having a weird enough day already, you know, what with meeting God, getting beamed onto a Klingon <laughs> ship, being apologized to by a warrior, who turns around in the gunner's seat? But Spock. And I do not understand this at all. You go down to the planet, you're going to go after the big God thing. So have Spock be the gunner. He's never, to my knowledge, never commanded a Klingon ship himself personally, much less shot anything with one. Not to mention, I think I would trust the guy who has his own personal periscope. Yeah. And the gunner on this one. Now, the only thing, again, rationalization. The only thing I can figure is Spock figured that Claw was going to, going to off the God thing and just accidentally, oops, oops. And, you know, Kirk is dead as well, which, I mean. <laughs> I mean, with the way this movie's going, it kind of happened anyway. <laughs> uh, so, I'm, so I'm thinking that was his, his only thing. But it it just, it seemed like an odd reveal, like an unnecessary reveal. That right? Spock was the gunner. And? So then Kirk is like, Ah, Spock, give you a cap my hug. And Spock's like, <laughs> not in front of the Klingons, sir. <laughs> Which got the biggest laugh when I saw it, got the biggest laugh of anything in the movie. That, that of one line. That's because it's the only actual joke. Everything else is just funny because of the wrong reasons. I, I just have a feeling that that line was in, that line is basically what everything else was built around. That was the one thing that they kept from uh, Shatner's original script. And it was just like, we have to, we have to figure out how to make the rest of the movie make sense around that line. Cause that, that joke totally. will drop that land. Totally. So, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the end of the excitement. And then we've got to have a little diplomatic party on the enterprise and everybody's going to be wandering around. There's, I'm sure there's like a chocolate fountain, maybe a cheese fountain. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's our dirt. There's gawk fountain. A gawk fountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie will, this is an odd scene though, when we take it in consideration of the next movie, because I mean, Kirk seems to be having a pretty good time drinking with the Klingons here. And, uh, right. and next time we come around now, there's explanations for that in Star Trek six, but the, the odd thing is that we have in this movie, some sort of good feelings between the Federation and the Klingons, which are Mm -hmm. almost completely going to disappear in Star Trek six. Yeah. He didn't strike me as straight up xenophobic or racist in this one. Yes. He, he just kind of was like, you know, these guys got in the way I let them off the hook and now we're going to have a drink. But, in the next movie, he comes out full bore with just like, I hate all Klingons. <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong. There's the whole, they killed my kid thing. That's not great. Let's be honest. But also, I think this really speaks a lot to Shatner himself, right? He's the one directing this movie. He's the one who's looking for the 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 feel and the look of it. And we know from the the stories surrounding Star Trek VI that he was really, really not happy with how racist and xenophobic Kirk came across. Yes. And yes, that's a good point. 
right? So I think there's there's a lot to be said about the way that this movie came out on on that. But you're right; it totally pulls from the or pulls away from the story. And you know, I think they did a good job of building up to Kirk is that guy. And then this movie is like, eh, maybe not today. Today I'm not racist. Today I'm just I'm just having a drink with my friends. Tomorrow I'll be racist again. It's fine. And it seemed like there, I mean, there was an obvious feeling because Next Generation was already out at this time. We know that the Klingons and the Federation will become allies. Worf will be serving on the Enterprise. And this feels like it's supposed to be an start to an overture to that sort of attitude before the next movie, Nicholas Meyer coming is like, no, you did that wrong. <laughs> yeah, let me show right? you. Let me show you how it really happened. <laughs> totally. I'm going to give you the clue ending. Here we go. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that did bother me about this scene is they give Captain Claw a drink and Scotty starts passing around scotch and Claw's just like, Ooh, drinks his scotch, which is <laughs> BS. You know, that, that the Klingons would be like, what is this water you're giving me? <laughs> and you know, here, have some blood wine. It so does I, seem like a good opportunity to, to introduce blood wine into the whole thing, but right. Or, you know, like you said, something green, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like an, it seemed like an opportunity for a low hanging fruit to do the it's green joke. Right. Um, so uh, Vixis is also walking around and she's got her muscles out. She's got, <laughs> I mean, that woman's got some guns. Oh my gosh. And she's walking around and Chekhov's like, Hey, look at that. It's, <laughs> It's, it's real cringy, but at the same time, like, you know, that's, that's totally Pavel Chekhov. <laughs> They're keeping with that whole Davy Jones vibe they originally brought him on with. <laughs> right. So then the movie fades to black and it pops up with big yellow letters that say, wait for Star Trek 5.5, the search for Cybok. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it didn't do that. So no, and they, uh, that actually something's almost happened well done almost happened shatner when they put this on blu-ray uh shatner actually did go back to the studio and asked to get a budget to actually replace the special effects on this uh on this movie and and punch the movie up before it went to uh blu-ray but it seemed that paramount considered this uh this this dog was dead and they were gonna let it lie yeah, it was probably a wise decision. Yeah, one of those things of probably throwing good money after bad. Right. I'd rather see that money go into Strange New Worlds. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I can understand where, where Shatner was coming from. I mean, Oh, yeah. I would have done the same thing. Right, and it was his baby. He wanted it to, to work out. Unfortunately, his baby was too long and too bad. Confusing and... What did uh, George Takai uh, uh, said about the script? It seemed like they were taking three interesting stories and trying to push them all into one, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we are going to close out the movie and this time we're going to close it out by going back onto the, uh, the state park and go camping and bones, Kirk and uh, Spock are going to sit around and, do a round of row, row, row your boat. At least this time Spock brought his lira. Spock brought his lira and Spock understands the music this time and <laughs> understands it's just a song. I mean, now one, one cool oh. thing I, I do like about this though, is that the story is uh, Kirk brought everybody out to this and they actually had, this was the last scene that they shot 
um, for the film. And they actually had a, a small celebration uh, at this location after they closed everything, you know, uh, closed down before the official rap party. Um, again, just kind of pushing that thing is it sounds like Shatner might've been an actor's director. Um, I question his decision to start his first directorial debut on a movie that would rely so heavily upon tech aspects mm-hmm. when it sounds like he actually, his strength was really working with people and working with actors. So I, well, it's one of I those think, things might have bitten off a bit more than he could chew on this. I, I do think that we all tend to take for granted the fact that, that Shatner is just cheesy and larger than life kind of guy, <laughs> right? But the fact of the matter is the reason he's like that is because he is a trained stage thespian. Yes. And so he understands the actor's experience. He understands what they want, what their motivation is. You know, he he gets it. So he's actually a pretty decent choice for a director. The problem is, is it was a garbage fire of a movie, no matter which way you came at it and yeah. being saddled with directing that nobody's going to look good. Yeah. Agreed. It, it just, it, there were too many things again, again, you have a writer strike, you have a teamster strike, you have a, a first time movie director. Um, you have the fact that the best in the business being ILM is not available to do your special effects and the house that is given that, that responsibility is getting half the time they normally would. Um, just a lot of things, a lot of things really went against this movie. And on top of it, the competition in 1989 for summer movies, you're talking Batman, uh, the abyss, Indiana Jones, lethal weapon Two, like ghostbusters Two. It's a nuts field, right? I cannot believe that they made as much money as they did during that season. Yeah. And, and it was, it was an odd choice that they decided to make this a summer blockbuster when the previous two movies at least had been uh, Christmas releases and done very well. Now the first weekend of this film, it actually did better than Star Trek four. However, it was a much wider release than Star Trek four was. And so it, it was in more theaters Unfortunately, week two, it didn't hold up that that first week because a lot of people were very optimistic and thought, oh, yeah, this thing is going to make us projected. It was projected to make 200 million. Yeah. In the end, it made just over 60. Um, again, a profit, a meager profit when you look at movies as it costs around 44 million to make and you're getting back 62. So you're still making your money back, but not the not what they really had in mind. Amen. Well, there you have it, folks. That is Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And it just about was the absolute final frontier of this series. <laughs> it came real close. Uh, yeah. So much so that like, there's stories of people like, ah, Six almost didn't get made. And the studio said no at first. And the only reason Six got made was because somebody got fired. But we'll talk about that <laughs> next time. That's Star Trek Six, my favorite one. Right. Um, so everybody, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'd like to give a special shout out to our friends over at five year mission. Uh, they, uh, they have allowed us to use their song beam down as our intro and outro. Uh, make sure you head over and check them out at fiveyearmission.net. They take episodes of TOS and turn them into songs. And so each one of their albums is actually a season of TOS. It's really, really <laughs> it cool. Very cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. 
Absolutely. All right, all. Thank you very much. We will talk to you next time when we go over Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Star Trek 832016.